Welcome to the New Books Network. Good morning, good evening, good night, NBN Entrepreneurship and Leadership. Personally, I'm fascinated by the story. Trust is an underrated weapon in the business landscape. I'm a really, really strong believer in learning by doing. What's the definition of success? He's trying to come up with an answer to the question. But go ahead, Richard. You could be right, but you're wrong. <laughs> good afternoon, good evening, good morning, good night, Entrepreneurship and Leadership channel listeners on the New Books Network. Uh, today we've got a very special guest, David Hayat, if I pronounce his name correctly, together with uh, Kimon Fontakidis, my business partner. And uh, David, rather than me do a botched job of trying to introduce, your, introduce you to our listeners, perhaps you could do us the favor of doing that in the same way you'd do it if you met someone reasonably intelligent looking at a party. Yeah, well, I'm sort of, I guess, like a serial entrepreneur. I run the Hyatt Denim Company with my wife, um, and it's on a quest to try and get 400 people their jobs back. Our town had Britain's biggest jeans factory. It made 35,000 pairs of jeans a week for 40 years, and then one day in 2002, it closed, and 400 world-class makers had nothing to make. So that's one thing we do. Um, the other thing we do is a thing called the Do Lectures, which runs from a cow shed in West Wales um, and we you know in pre-COVID times we had events um, you know we had all sorts of amazing speakers come and you know the talks have been watched 150 million plus times from a cow shed in West Wales doesn't actually really make any sense apart from it's brilliant um, and that's a bit of fun really and I guess I'm on a quest to try and run a business so it doesn't run me um, <laughs> work in progress by the way <laughs> Work in progress. Well, th- thank you for that introduction. And I think I'm right in thinking that before you launched these current ventures, you had a background in some kind of big retail branding. Is that correct? Is it, you had something? Oh, um, well, I kind of um, I, I was sort of bankrupt at 16. Like that didn't kind of work out too well. I went to college, got thrown out. That didn't work out too well. And I, I joined a company called Saatchi and Saatchi, which is uh, the advertising agency and at the time, it was the world's most awarded advertising agency, and they hired me as a copywriter. And I couldn't spell. I thought a colon was a disease. A semicolon was a complication of that disease. And but I was keen. You know, I mean, I had something going for me. I mean, I was like, going, well, I was keen as mustard. So, um, and I learned how to. I learned from amazing people. I was really super lucky, actually. Mm. Being lucky is an important business skill um, and life skill, I would say. So you've, you've obviously, to some extent, got that. And if you think of your upbringing, where you you said you um, went bankrupt at 16, so obviously you must have started earlier than that. Was that like in the family environment? Was it surprising for you? I don't know if you had parents who were entrepreneurs or you were, you were rebelling against something or they gave you way too much money or they didn't give you enough money. How, how did that, how did you get to the stage of going back? Well, yeah, my mom was a nurse, so not really an entrepreneur. My dad was an electrician, but not really an entrepreneur, but they, they were kind of worldly. I mean, they emigrated to New Zealand and Australia and, you know, they, they were sort of quite free-spirited people. And I persuaded my mom and dad that, doing A-levels, going to school was like a dumb idea, given my talent. Um, and my dad lent me 500 pounds, and that, that was half his savings. So, um, wow. so, and I was really mad keen on sports brands. That was my thing. I had this 
my bedroom was covered in these posters and I just wanted to go and create the best sports brands ever. Um, and I started on a market stall in you know, South Wales Valleys and um, about six months in, you know, the coal miners went on strike and all my customers had no money. And so I went out of business. Um, so, sorry, what, David, what were you doing? So, like, you had a store? That- I, I was selling, like, Adidas and Nike seconds. I was just going, I, was, I just wanted to be in that world in any way I could. Um, so you're buying like jerseys, like sports jerseys, and then selling yeah. them to the local, like of the local football team or whatever it was that, yeah. or rugby or whatever people were were yeah. were rooting for, yeah. And and so that didn't work out too well. Um, but um, if we go back a bit, and so to get 500 quid from your dad, what you were 15 or something like that, that was half his savings. So what had you done, and where did it come from? Because we're really say so when you were much, what was your first business? Obviously, I, I you know, you must have had some track record of him to trust you on trust. Well, your I, have, um, I, I went to a school which had no shops. So um, what I started doing was, especially in the summer, I was going to buy. I went to a wholesaler every night, and I was buying these tip tops. So I'd buy a hundred tip tops, which are like just frozen drinks. Um, and I would freeze them. I'd, I'd put them in my Adidas um, bags, school bag. Um, and because there was no shops, they, they had a really captive audience. Um, I just sell them. I sell them out in the, like five minutes. And um, I was, I couldn't expand too much because I could only carry them in one Adidas bag. But the business failed because um, the headmaster soon found out all this litter. Um, uh, you know, the, the the, my audience weren't very good at putting their lollipop you know, um, uh, papers into the bin. So I got found out because the, the, the paper trail, which was a plastic trail, led back to me. And, but, um, so that but, was, how old were you? Yeah, you were 10, 10 12, 14? Do you yeah, maybe, uh, yeah, 12, maybe, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah my, my, my first business was selling sweets in my prep school in Oxford, and I was eight, and it was a boarding school for some, so they couldn't get off the premises, and that was, and it, yeah. it actually misled me for 15 years because I thought business was much easier than it later turned out. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing yeah. how many of the guests we have on here have the, and I call it the exact or a very, very similar story to that. Um, so, you, so, so, you know, whatever reason you were, I don't know what drove, like, okay, you saw an, a market opportunity, but clearly you were enterprising. I mean, you said, let me do, like, I don't know what drove you to, to actually do that. You just said, hey, I, I could use a couple extra, whatever, pounds or whatever. And um, I don't know if it was even about the money. I was just kind of like, I'm going, ah, oh, man, you know, we should do this. And I mean, at 13, I was advising sports brands on their marketing even though i, I didn't actually know it was, it was called marketing i would i would you know catch a train like i put a tie on like i was 13 i was going up i'd written a report you know to these sports brands and i'd get free kit i was like going, i didn't even hold on a second this is crazy so hold on a second this is even this this is even crazier so so how did you do that like so you, so you wrote letters to the to the sports yeah, brands I and you said I wrote reports and then here's 27 things that you should be doing. Um, this is obvious. I mean, and they listened. Yeah, I mean, they uh, invited me. Uh, like, you, this is really interesting. So, how did you get your first your first contact with one of the brands? Was it like because there must be there's quite often in a story like that there's a moment where you try something and suddenly something good someone replies someone calls you. What yeah. do you? It was like a magic moment where someone got interested in what you had to offer. 
Um, well, I think it was a little bit before that. I was sending off uh, Adidas catalogs and I was getting stickers. I mean, never underestimate the importance of a sticker. I mean, Apple still give on a 3,000 quid computer. Now, they still give a sticker away. And I still sure. like and, um, and I see that stuck on a whole bunch, on all kinds of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I then kind of got into it. And then I started going to the trade stands. And I would go there and I would literally take every catalog from every brand that would give me on. There were certain stands I couldn't get on, which are the ones I really wanted to get on because they were just like, you know, the Adidas and, you know, actually less so with Nike at that, that time because they were, you know, the underdog. So that just made me more driven. I mean, and so, so the odd thing where this story kind of goes is, you know, so I failed at 16. Um, I went to college um, because I kind of wanted to, um, you know, try and get a way in. And because I kept getting refused from all these sports brands because they didn't have any qualifications. Um, and so then getting kicked out, uh, advertising was really good because they actually didn't need a qualification. You don't actually need a qualification to think and have ideas, which you, was... We, you got kicked out of college. Can you just tell, does it... It can like literally kicked out, or you just you failed. Well, like you just never, didn't do the, you, that's really the first year, but I kind of I came bottom. I, I literally didn't do any work. We were so busy doing. Um, we were starting nightclubs. We were you know, you know starting advertising and um, you know, societies. When you say, and a week before, when you say this is the second time you said we. What did you have like one or two like buddies who you did everything with, or was it just the people at that, that time? So these, oh, these at that time. It was just like my my, um, my classmate, you know, and you know, we started a research, you know, thing. You know, we started try to start a nightclub. We did the, the May Ball. Um, you know, we were doing all this stuff. We literally couldn't fit in our college duties because we were so busy. And also, we made the mistake of going to Paris a week before the final examinations, and we sent a a postcard to our lecture said don't worry we will be back i think that was a really you know um naive <laughs> error <laughs> so we'd primed them for the reason why they should kick us out <laughs> i'm just, i'm guessing this was in the 1980s or 90s you look slightly younger than me and keeman but i'm not sure i'm, I'm, no, I'm 56 so i'm probably the same age but um, or less okay, you're, you're you're much older than 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 keman and slightly older than me i would say <laughs> Okay, <laughs> um, but it's um, so that that that's um, so. But this was a time when entrepreneurship wasn't that fashionable, right? You, you know, and what you because you're you are the same generation, and you know these days it's a cool thing to be. But back then, did people look at you like you're a bit of a freak? Yeah, it was definitely not a thing. I think um, I think you know, like especially coming from the South Wales valleys, where they say, well, maybe just be a carpenter. My mum. Even when I got a job in what well, was at the time the most famous ad agency, he's going, you should have been a carpenter. <laughs> my, my woodwork teacher didn't agree with my mom. <laughs> and, and you've already answered a question that you weren't being pushed into entrepreneurship by your, <laughs> by your mom and dad. But and I suppose possibly, I mean, I'm just trying to understand the story, but when you were getting all these catalogs and stuff from the different big brands that are sort of sending off marketing departments used to post stuff to the, and these days I wouldn't let people who work for me send catalogs to school kids because, you know, I, it's, it's just a complete waste of money from their point of view, although there was a happy ending. But, 
but the I suppose you were looking at the way they were presenting their products and maybe your sort of your business brain was developing just thinking that works that doesn't work was that was that where you're getting your your sort of business education from just observing and thinking I mean there's a lot going on right so I mean I mean you got to think about Ali Dassler it's a huge amazing story I mean like him and his brother never spoke after the war. I mean, one brother started Puma, one started Adidas, you know, like big beef in a small town. Um, you know, 1954, Adidas invents the, the studded football boot, but only gives it to one team in the final. And that was West Germany. Uh, and Hungary were the favorites. I mean, there was like huge stories. Like this is like cobbler taken on like... A world business. I mean, it's just um, the stories you just can't believe. And it's kind of, I mean, it fascinated me. It still fascinates me. So, so what fascinates me here is I, I, I sort of know, I, you know, I, I sort of can imagine what kind of a person you are. But uh, I, I guess the, the, the attraction to join the Sachin, so that's, that's where I get a little bit like, because, you know, you, a lot of very often people will just go on and they're going to do their own thing. Like they're driven to do their own thing because like they just have the ideas and the energy. And, you know, you, I guess, you know, you, if you've worked in that company, I mean, you, you work, was working a company, like what, what made you want to do that? And was that, constri- it must've been just listening to in this, whatever 15 minutes we've talked, it must've been somewhat constraining. I guess you got an education. I guess that's where you got your, Education. I mean, like uh, of the, the thing you really wanted to learn how to do, uh, but maybe just a couple of words about that. Well, I mean, I think you've got to think about advertising as, I mean, it can be an industry, but it's like the university of ideas. And I'm going, and when I said to my dad that, you know, like I failed and, and he said, well, what did you learn from it? I said, well, I learned, I love it. Um, and he said, well, that's good. I mean, he said, now what you need to learn is to get good at it so you can keep doing it. And I'm going, right, okay. So and I just went, what do I need? I mean, I need to be able to go and build a brand. How do I do that? How do I tell stories? You know, like, you know, I'm, I mean, up until that age, I was just reading like, you know, football, soccer magazines. I wasn't like, you know, that thing of like, <laughs> I wasn't re- It was like formalizing it, formalizing it. You had this gen, like this general sense, but now you could formalize. The ideas could be formalized, and what the process of what it is you're doing is yeah. somehow formalized. Um, how do you go and start a brand? I mean, like there wasn't right, like you know, this is this is pre-internet, right? So yeah, you know, in a way, and like there wasn't like nobody wanted to be an entrepreneur. It was like a disease, um, and <laughs> and they suddenly go like. Um, and there wasn't any online courses. Oh, let's go and start a brand. I mean, like it was like, how, how do you, how do you do that? Mm. And and you know, the university of ideas was like I was like, I was learning storytelling, I was learning how to get attention. You know, what is it that actually constitutes a great brand? And- yeah, maybe walk us through that because you said you started as a copywriter, basically through a college and like whatever. They just they took you on. And you obviously, I guess you worked your way up there. Maybe tell us a little bit about that part of your Yeah, story. I mean, so, I mean, at 21, we'd been unemployed for a year and a half. We were very keen. I was working with an art director, a guy called, amazing guy called Ajab Samurai Singh, who was so driven. And, uh, I mean, we were, we were, <laughs> we were going to get a job. 
And at some point, somebody was going to say yes to us. We had 150 interviews of people saying no, and finally, someone said yes. And and we weren't going to lose that job. Um, it was we'd had enough of eating beans on toast. Um, it was enough. So we were just so keen. And you know, everybody else went to like posh colleges, and and we were there, scrappy as hell. Um, and there was no job, big or small. We would do anything. And so we were relentless. And so anybody who, like, the thing is, there's a hierarchy in those companies where they don't, you, you don't get the good briefs when you start. You get the briefs that no one else wants. <laughs> and the scraps. Right. And so how do you turn the scraps into gold? And you just go, hey, nobody else wants it. Fine, we'll do it. And we kept doing that, kept doing that. And of, of course, suddenly you do good work and then you get good briefs. And then it gets... Of course, I, I mean, I don't know anything about the advertising business really, except not, 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 not like you do, but obviously it's a very results. And if, if your clients, if such your clients are happy because of the work you're doing, that really shows, right? It, it's very meritocratic in a way, isn't it? They don't care how you speak. They don't care the color of your hair, what religion you are. Like... Like, like what race you are, they literally just go, best idea, best idea wins. I mean, it's literally ruthless. And I kind of liked it. I was just going, well, man, I'm not going back on the doll. I ain't, I'm not doing that. I'm just going, I'll work. Uh, until I can get good at this thing, I just practiced. Uh, I studied every night because um, I, I didn't know how to write good ads. Um, it is a skill. Uh, sort of, uh, oddly, I got good at it towards the end, but um, at the beginning, it was pretty rubbish. But I had hunger, so kind of, um, I could make up for quality with quantity. And uh, in that quantity, there was the occasional bit of gold. I just had to sieve it out. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's a, so, so, an American celebrity entrepreneur, Gary Vaynerchuk, who oh, yeah. is a very sort of stereotypical American dream guy. But one of the things he says that I agree with is that you, the only variable you can control is you can outwork everyone else. You know, you, 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 you can't change your genetic makeup, but you can try harder. And you obviously, um, you, experience, well, you said you didn't like beans on toast, so you, you didn't make enough money with your micro ventures to mean that you, you know, you, you'd made a, made a bit of cash with your nightclubs and stuff like that but what so but did you did you have some self-awareness did you think that you were more talented than you were or did you realize you needed to learn because it can sometimes arrogance can be a good thing sometimes it can be a bit of a disaster yeah i mean i think definitely um i, I think that a year and a half on you know being unemployed teaches you to just you know be respectful of your talent and work and work at it. Um, and we were definitely of the opinion that everybody else was more talented. But what we could do is try and come at things from a different angle, and uh, maybe do more research. Or I mean, because working harder isn't just like right. That's just like energy. So, but like working harder is also like. Right, let's go and interview the engineer that no one interviewed. That's working harder. And and so so we kind of, you know, we were keen to we were quite good at looking at it from different angles. And you said we a couple of times in a job search. 
And it's quite unusual for people to join a company together as a team, as opposed to yeah. talking about it sounds like you, you joined with someone else, which is, oh, yeah. in the, does that, has that ever happened before? Have you, I've never heard of anyone do that. <laughs> Two people show up to a job interview, not one. I mean, yeah. that, I mean in, you kind of work in a team. So there's a writer, there's an art director, and you would think, oh, the writer comes up with all the words and the art director comes up with all the pictures. It doesn't actually work like that. It's just like, you know, it's like you two going, hey, let's go and do this. So, you know, who would be a good idea? And it's just, it's just the ability to talk to someone and try and see if something you know, is good or, you know, could it be pushed or, you know, that's kind of interesting thought by Bora about this. And so you're very, like, you're a very close partnership. You're in the same room. You know, I worked with him seven, eight years. Like, you know, that's not including being unemployed together. Do you mean? Um, so how long but, were you in Saatchi and Saatchi? How long was that? Seven, seven eight years. And the story, um, which was, I mean, bear in mind, the guy I was working with was my best mate. And we'd got out of you know a tough time together um enormous he was my best man at my wedding and but the, the CEO of um Sarchis came in one day Louis Dreyfus who's uh, sadly no longer here came in and said I'm going to buy Adidas and I went <laughs> that's my dream and I'm like mm, oh boy here we go and um and he did he was like, um, his dad was a French billionaire and you know, right. he went and bought it. But um, so we were pitching it for as Saatchi and Saatchi. And what I didn't know at the time was um, Charles and Morris and Louis Dreyfus had fallen out over something. And um, so we were never going to win it. In fact, we got a fax to say we didn't win it. It wasn't even a phone call. I mean, the, the um, relationship had gone you know, straight to fax. Um, right, straight to facts. Straight to facts. Um, so, so you know, almost the next week or the week after, I like I t- took a twenty thousand pound pay cut and went to work for the the winner of the pitch. Because um, I, I at that point I'm going, yeah, that's why I, I sort of re- rekindled my love affair with it again. And just you went going, to another advertising agency, which uh, which which had the Adidas contract. Yeah. Was, so that, I just was, that, was that was that quite a sort of emotionally challenging thing to do? Because you, you, I mean, seven years and your first major job. You know, you're, you and presumably they treated you quite well. You'd done well there. You're yeah. So, no. what did? How did you handle that emotionally? Well, I mean, I mean, I, I guess that's where. I mean, like to be. I could have stayed in my comfort zone. I was with you know the guy who had my back. Um, um, we sort of grew up. You were sort of raised by wolves you know, in Sarchis, so we grew up there. We kind of knew it. We knew how to play it. Um, we were doing pretty well at it. You know, we were like the youngest group heads, and um, so it was just a case of. But uh, there was a bigger thing going on, and um, I had this thing that I wanted to do. Um, it wasn't that I wanted to go and write ads for Adidas. It was. I wanted to learn how to do my own thing. Um, and um, you know, Adidas was just like a nice way to learn. And that is actually a question I was going to, I think I meant to ask you earlier that when you were a teenager and so sort of, did you think, what was your vision for 
how your life was going to go if it worked out. Did you had you always wanted to do your own big thing, and this was this was these were stepping stones, or or was that something that emerged over time as you watched what was going on through the eyes of a? I think it was emerged at the time. I don't know. I don't think I had the imagination to think about big things like that. I was like, let's go down the football field and kick a ball. I mean, that was the extent of it. Um, I was, you know, I was. You know, just quite happy playing football, you know, kind of into my stuff. You know, I was a bit of a geek on various things, but um, yeah, I mean, so I, I don't know if I had that big, like, oh, I'm going to go and, you know, fly to Mars one day. <laughs> and so, how long? So, work, walk us through this part then. So, you switch ad agencies. Yeah. And it was sort of bittersweet. Um, I sort of finally got to the thing that I really wanted to do. Um, but my new boss, I'd really, you know, and you work with a team. And so he hired the two of us, but he was really keen on the other guy. And I was like, buy one, get one free. And, um, <laughs> uh, and so there wasn't like a huge respect. Um, and I wrote ads for a year and a half. And I pretty much got 90 books. 99.9% of them all didn't ever go anywhere. And I worked and I worked and I had to, I had a company car. I had to park it under a light so I could actually see what color it was. I didn't actually, and I was committed. I was just going, I'm going to make this work. But my boss literally didn't want to buy anything I wanted. Like, did, and the only time we got any ads through was he went away on a holiday and I wrote this piece of copy and the other desk people said, this is the tone of voice. And I'm going, this is the voice I want. This is the voice I like. Um, but my boss was really keen to just copy Nike. And I'm going, such a big mistake. I can tell you this, only Nike can do Nike like Nike. Um, and if you want to muddy the water, it's a, bad, it's a poor strategy to spend all those bucks. And um, so it was a really frustrating time um and in the you end you were about 30 you're about 30 then i guess so um, yeah, probably um yeah so i mean and uh so in the end i just said well this is pointless i mean uh, and he offered me uh the job to be creative director of adidas in america and i'm going i'm going hey i mean i can't get any through ads through in london why do you think i'm going to get them through on a fax to you from san francisco i mean it's pointless um so here's a question for you about this because i'm just listening to this now how, how subjective is that world because it sounds like you just you're you're only as good as your you know your voice is not able to get beyond some whatever the level is above you and that le level only and, and you know this is art this is very creative stuff right so it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's only it's it's is it just extraordinarily i mean it, it sounds yeah. very subjective oh and it's completely and and if i mean and so it's if you trust the person who walks in the room and say hey it's not i don't get it but if you feel so passionately about it, I'll go with you. That was never a conversation. It was like, no, that's not it. You go. He was the boss and he was going to say what the... Yeah, and was. I mean, he, his reputation was that person. I mean, it, okay. it was it, like he's had so many people go and work for him and just left. I mean, so mm. it's, it wasn't like it wasn't like a special dislike for me. It was just, right. you know, it's my way or not your way. Yeah. <laughs> 
And, but it, it was interesting because um, I got this stack of ads with this voice. And I, so I went, right, I'm going to leave and uh, I'm going to go to the cushiest job in town that pays the most money and like needs the least amount of time. And it happened to be the agency that was, um, who owned the agency I was working at. So, so I, I got, got the interview and I, I got the job. And, um, and so, so my boss was told by the guy who owned his company that I was leaving to go and work for uh, a guy called David Abbott, who's just a real good human being. Who paid enormous amounts of money without requiring much work? So, did you? Am I understanding correctly? Did you leapfrog your boss in some way? It's sort of like you went. Well, like, no, but by, I, I, my um. So basically, you know, Abbott, Abbott Mead Vickers, which was this agency, which went on to be Britain's biggest agency, um, owned the agency that I was working at. Right. And that so, had that agency had the Adidas contract. Yeah. So, so my new boss, who owned the other company phoned <laughs> my boss up before I could resign um, and, uh, and said, oh, I'm hiring David and um, I hope you're happy with that. So I was like, <laughs> oh, uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't Mr. Poplar. But, so, but I took all those ads and I started a company called Howie's and, and I had loads of time at this new agency because they just didn't work that hard. Um, they, they all went home at a decent hour and they had this amazing photocopier that I absolutely mullered. It's photocopier. Yeah, and I started, <laughs> uh, I started this brand on this photocopier and it was like, it was an industrial machine. And I, I literally shortened his life by like a factor of 80%. <laughs> Do you think they might be listening and wondering what you owe them? <laughs> yeah, probably. Well, they, they were in the bar on Friday night. They're all having a drink and I was like, Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Carrying this thing out. They, they even give me five grand to run the ads. Do you mean which one awards? Do you mean it's like so this is for you? So you were moonlighting basically, and you started your you're starting your own yeah, yeah. company. Yeah. And, and approximately how much how much money we make? Because I mean, you know, probably a lot of our listeners don't know what sort of salaries senior advertising people were getting in Britain in that in the late 90s or early 80s. I, I think if you were half decent, you'd be earning somewhere between 100 and 250 grand. I think it was it was a chunk of money. I think no, you were in the top one. So, sorry, I talked over you. You're quite secure then. You, I mean, presumably that unless you have some hobbit, ha, habits that burn through money somewhere, you 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 you, yeah, were yeah. Keen, you, you weren't. <laughs> unless you were going to start a sports brand, you'd be completely loaded. Yeah. And that's what you do. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but before, so we're now going into the entrepreneurship, but I have to ask one question before we leave the world of, of advertising, because we, I, I, like Richard, don't know a lot about it, but I did, I'm sure you know about Mad Men, the show, the, that Netflix show. So how, how similar was, like, no, because you're like talking about this and I'm like, the whole time in my head, I'm like, like Don Draper and like, so how similar, like, and it sounds like it's kind of similar time. I mean, like, obviously that was like through the 50s, yeah. 60s, 70s, whatever. Yeah. Uh, but like, just can you, like, is there any, anything you can say about that? Or I think there was a time where it was kind of like, I mean, Sarsen Sarsi had, um, there's a, a beer called Castlemaine 4X. Yeah. And it's yeah. an Australian beer. And um, 
uh, and 80 Charles Street, where Saatchi and Saatchi was based, was the biggest consumer of castle main products <laughs> in the United Kingdom. That's any nightclub, any pub, any hotel. No, it was the advertising agency. <laughs> it was like the best customer. Um, so it, it was a bit of that. Um, I mean, definitely the drink. I mean, apparently there was drugs, but I never, I, I, yeah. I had no clue there was a drug culture in that business. I mean, I must have missed it completely <laughs> you'll go oh it was a big drug you know I think, really I, I literally had no clue i must have been so naive i was just going really? there's a lot of what you're talking about a lot of the hustle i mean there's a lot of the hustle right and then a lot of working delayed hours and even the drinking and the drugs and all that that sort of also gets connected to they're working all the time i mean you're basically working all the time yeah. i think that's part of the, yeah, the, the yeah. culture so it definitely was that and it was i mean a creative business um I mean, bear in mind, they were like m- m- making it all up as they went along. I mean, you know, like, right. it, was, it was kind of like, it wasn't a, it was, uh, it was based really on chaos. And, uh, and um, but chaos with really bright people makes kind right. of the environment. But that's sort of the way Medman was presented. I actually do have another question now about this now that we're talking about it. Like, were you exposed, like, at, so you, you're quite senior. I mean, were you exposed to clients? Like, to, were you like pitching? Like, were you like Don Drapering it? Like up there? Like, uh, like I mean, like doing a, like. Uh, it was kind of interesting. Um, I was like super shy. Okay. And uh, like, like for eight years, I went to like two meetings at Sarchi's, um, and I, I said hello twice, and I'm sure I fluffed my lines. Um, <laughs> but I, but I, uh, also, I kind of, because Charles Sarchi was this enigma and he would never go to meetings. I was kind of like, I'm going, well, I don't need to go to meetings. But <laughs> so I, I don't know if I was, I was like, sort of like, really. Um, and But I was shy. And I, the, the thought of like actually having to do a talk or presentation was just going like, oh, my God, I'm never, ever going to do that. I'm never going to be able to do that. Um, You're doing but actually, that was the narrative that I told myself and actually wasn't true. So... Well, no, because the reason I'm asking is because they, because you know, and we're getting to the next part of your story. I mean, like, you know, talking to clients and selling and all that stuff. I mean, that's that's part of the that's part of the game, right? I mean, it's yeah. so. Well, it, it wasn't as such because you had account handlers to do all that. They okay. they try to keep the um the the scruffy ones away from the clients. <laughs> um, but I. But in other agencies, like, um, you know, I, I worked at, uh, I wanted to work at an agency called White and Candy for a long time. They'd offer me multiple jobs. Um, and before I left advertising, I wanted to have a taste of that. Um, and uh, White and Candy is Nike's ad agency and wrote Just Do It. And, and that was a very different environment. I was kind of like, I was really out of my comfort zone because I had to go and present to um clients but i'm glad i did it and uh, I, I worked with this wonder wonderful uh amazing or worked uh, for this amazing person susan hoffman and she taught me so much about communication i, I think she was really pivotal for me mm. okay so um 
you were running this brand on the side or building a brand using the company photocopier and was there like a moment where you thought I am going to start and so maybe just what happened next because you took over this bankrupt factory and what or this factory okay. that was closing down in well, was that later and was that the next yeah, thing later, was there, the, there was I was working in this advertising agency I was overpaid underworked and I was just really using my side hustle of building my brand um, uh, which was really getting all my attention. And then there was a, like a top 50 brands, um, uh, most influential brands list. And um, I think, I, I don't know if I'm remembering it quite rightly, but it went along something like Adidas was 12. The company I started, Howie's was nine and Nike was six. And I, I and it's, it's like, you know, the top 50 most influential brands. And I'm going, hmm, I think I need to maybe take this a bit more seriously. Because someone else is. <laughs> and, um, and we were just on a laugh. I mean, it was, it was kind of, you got to understand, it was like early crazy days. I mean, um, you know, I'd go and deliver T-shirts to a band on a Saturday morning. You know, Banksy would be, you know, doing the backdrop. It was proper... You know, like, um, it was proper interesting times, I mean, you know, um, and we were just doing stuff because actually it was like, it was losing money, like, like, but I didn't really care. I was just going to just take my salary. It's fine. Like, I'm boom, boom. It, it was, it was just like a hobby that just got a bit serious. Sure. Yeah. So, but what, the most, and as with, you, you mentioned earlier, these sort of moments when, you realize things were sort of working out as a teenager talking to the brands. Was there a moment with your own brand when you thought, hmm, this has actually got the potential? It wasn't just a fun, sort of weird, freaky hobby. This actually could be really big. Was, were, were there any like that, that sort of moment, hmm, this could be something? Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of moments where, you know, you're suddenly watching like your favorite band, like, you know, Radiohead, and suddenly they're wearing your t shirt. And you're gone. <laughs> That's rather nice. And so, and I mean, but from a family point of view, I mean, I'm lucky to, um, you know, be married for uh, 28 years from, you know, the person from the same village. And um, we just want to get back to Wales. Um, and so, in a way, you know, Howie's was a ticket out of London to still do something interesting. And bear in mind that at this point, we're starting in 95 and we moved, you know, in 2001 to Wales. We still hadn't actually done um, a day's work in our brand. We'd had other people helping us. Um, so we were part timers and we wanted to do it full time. And, and in that three years from 2001 to, you know, 2004, it just grew like crazy. And we were... I mean, we knew how to write ads. We didn't know how to run a business. Mm. Yes, that was like, the question. <laughs> it was like, oh, my God. It's like, um, and we kept hiring people who didn't know how to run a business. <laughs> yes. It's like, oh, you know, we go, we need more naive in this company because all we have is naive. Like, so the B team has the C team, the C team has the D team, D team, and you get a zombie explosion. <laughs> oh, it's unbelievable. And, but the interesting thing was we, 
then decided we were growing so fast, we need, we need to go and raise some money. And so we put some feelers out to some people and we had a lot of people interested, but like quite serious people. And you're like going, hmm. Um, and we had like Steve Case who started AOL and he, yeah. went, and, he went and bought, um, was the zip car and various things. So he was happy to go and invest 25 to $30 million as long as we moved to um, Ojai in California, but we just moved a couple of them. I feel like it felt like it was a quite a big commute. Um, <laughs> um, but we had Japan's richest guy who owns the Uniqlo, wanted to buy it. Um, you know, we had, um, and this is the one I, I kind of wish we'd done. Um, it's a company called PPR, who actually is now called Kering, uh, and they own um, Gucci, Yves Saint Laurent, Puma. And they are professional brands. Right. And, um, and, but they sort of approached us after we'd done a deal with Timbaland. And it was, it was kind of quick to realize that Timbaland had their own struggles and were really focused on Timbaland, which, you know, is the sensible thing. So I went back to Timbaland and said, look, can I buy it back? Because um, PPR said, look, there's two brands in the world we want to buy right now. One's Quicksilver and one is Howie's. Um, Incredible. And um, I could not persuade them to sell. And I didn't realize why they didn't want to sell because they didn't like, actually like the thing they bought. Because I was just like going, I was pushing them every day to go and do stuff and they didn't want to do anything. Um, because they were for sale. Ah, and, and you were part of the asset and so they didn't want to do anything while right was going on but i didn't know that at the time and so so i mean so that circle of like going from you know we didn't get to adidas but you know basically ppr were going to buy us through puma and that was the brother of adidas <laughs> so i was like you go so at that point i just went okay it's it's um, we had to walk away from Howie's and start again. And, and that was actually bittersweet. That was quite hard, actually. Yeah, and, and, but you had some, presum that was quite presumably quite attractive financially, an exit with Tim Timberlands, that, you, that put some cash in your bank account. So Yeah, so it was, it was kind of, you know, we, we could afford some of our values. I'm not working for you. Soldier. David, I've had a long road life, but it's the first time I've heard someone say I could afford my values, which yeah. <laughs> which is actually nice. Um, but and it wasn't like you know, like it wasn't like Timberland were you know there were some good people there. It was just you know they were struggling, and you know quite rightly they had to pay attention to that. It was just it was just timing. Sometimes timing works for you. Sometimes it doesn't work for you. And when you when you say we, are you referring to yourself and your wife versus yeah. somebody else? Yeah. Okay. So is your wife was also in the in the business? I mean, she was yeah, part she of was the in business. Um, she's like, I mean, it's like she's tomorrow's. She's the business. She keeps us in business. I do my best to try and do the opposite. <laughs> I mean, bankrupt you. <laughs> Basically, we're interviewing the wrong person. <laughs> yeah, no. If you ask my daughters, they've gone, yeah, well, I don't know why you're talking to that guy. He's, 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 apart from bin day on a Friday, and we don't know actually know what he does. 
I think possibly we, we came on and I both so, have children. Who... <laughs> so when you, so you've got some money, you've, you want to start over. Um, what do you guys like? What's so what happens? Like what, what's now? Well, initially I just, I mean, I sort of walked down the 27 steps of how he's, and I was, to, to be honest, I was like heartbroken because like, I didn't even want to sell it at the point. I was just going, well, I'll use their money to go and build it. Um, it's fine because I haven't got any money at that point. And um, so it was a little bit of like, we've completed half of the mission and and I couldn't blame anyone but me. And and so sometimes entrepreneurs are very good at blaming themselves. Um, sometimes you're pretty good at blaming everybody else as well. And, <laughs> That seems to be a skill too. But so I sort of had um, a period where I couldn't do anything for a year. Right. You're in some kind of, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So non-compete, da la la. And yeah. so I went running and, but I was, <laughs> I was a little bit heartbroken. I, I, you know, like I was, I don't want to gloss it up. I was just, I, I'd stopped sleeping. I was going running. I was pretty unhappy. You know, I mean, David, if you look back on it and you had to ask, I mean, are you basically, you made a wrong, you feel at the time you felt like you just chose the wrong investor. I mean, that was the, yeah. that, that was the thing that you felt that you had yeah. any control over that you, you yeah. just chose the wrong investor. Yeah. And, and it's also comes down to timing sometimes, you know, I think this was, you know, you know, Timberland hit us really sticky moment. Um, and sure. And if they if it had been in a good moment, it would have been different. So sometimes these things happen, and yeah. and that thing of like everything that's happened to me has got me to here, and I'm going. I've got to be grateful for everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'm sure there's valuable lessons there. I'm sure there's valuable lessons there for you in whatever selling your business and that process. Um, I'm not sure if you did it again or if you're if you're going to do it again, but I I, I, I suspect that that would be that you have valuable insights from the from that that process basically yeah i mean and you know sometimes you gotta do something to understand why you don't want to do it again mm. and you know like you know the you know the the, you know, the bruise sometimes the bruise doesn't go away and it's a good reminder and it's fine mm. um so so the, the reason to tell you that was I wrote a business plan to go and start a jeans company because actually that's the one thing we did particularly well at, at the last one. And, you know, we had the skills in town, but I couldn't find the motivation. I was like, I didn't want to run around that same track twice. I felt a bit defeated, if I'm honest. Um, and, I, and so for a year, I just did the business plan I put it to one side. It was on the shelf. I didn't send it to anyone. I went running. And even the dog just went, Jesus Christ, man. Haven't we done the running thing enough? You go up to that hill, you scream, there's no one up there. Come back down. Come on. Um, this is crazy, though. For, no, seriously, David, this is crazy. For people listening to this story, you're talking, I don't, I, you know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not even going to ask about numbers or anything like that. But basically, if you're listening to this story, you're talking about a guy who basically sold his business to, you know, a, a top 10 brand or whatever, 
uh, and he's <laughs> and he feels he's feeling defeated and like a loser, and he's trying to get over this this thing. This is great. I mean, this is great. Really, yeah. if you think about it, it's kind of crazy. Uh, for most people, it's like the pinnacle. <laughs> it's the pinnacle yeah, of everything, and for you, it's like the the depths of despair. Yeah, I mean, it's um, I mean, the, the I suppose the bigger thought is like like why would you sell something you love for money right and and then most people will just go give me the money i'll find something else i love and it's fine but the the thing for me was i had a phone call then with the ex-designer from the previous you know from howie's and he said why aren't you doing the plan and i said oh, i'm not sure i've got the motivation to do it again I, maybe I'll do something else, but I don't want to do the same thing. That, you know, and he said, yeah, but Dave, it's not actually about you this time. It's about your town. And it's about you passing those skills onto the next generation. Otherwise they're going to die. And I'm going, okay. I could. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good uh, pep talk. Yeah. And I'm there going, Ooh, Oh, okay. I could probably <laughs> run around the same track twice for that then. And, because, I mean, as a kid from the South Wales Valley is, I mean, you know, we went to school on a bus called the Iron Lung. Um, and um, I don't actually know why it's called the Iron Lung, it was just, but it was made of iron. Um, and but each morning at the same time, we would go past the coal miners to our left, you know, like um, just about to go down the pit. You know, there's sandwich tins, white face, and at 3.30, um, after they finished the shift and we've come back home, they'd be on the other side of the road going, you know, in a different direction, you know, black faces, empty uh, tin. And then one day they weren't there. So entire community. Boom. And so because I moved to West Wales, a different community, and I'm going, okay, I think I can do this because... I know how to build a brand. They know how to make jeans. And this amazing century defining thing had happened called the internet. And so sometimes you can be in the right place at the right time with the right people and you can go and have a merry dance. Also the right mindset. I mean, I'd say, yeah, you were ready. You were ready for that. Yeah, no. Yeah. And and, and so I'd learned the lessons I needed to learn. Right. There were still many, many others to learn, but <laughs> I'd learned, I learned some necessary ones. And, and also this time, and, and this isn't, uh, this isn't a, a nice story to tell, but when I walked out of Howie's, more than half the people were delighted. I was pushing everyone pretty hard. I was pushing myself even harder, but I was pushing right. them. I wanted to be the best. Right. I didn't, my dream wasn't to go and not be better than Adidas or Nike. And right. so, um, and, but a few of the people were gutted I was leaving because they knew that was the end, really. Um, and, um, but this time around, I determined that I wouldn't be anyone's boss, but I would be a coach. I'm going to grow my people and show them that they can do incredible things even from a sleepy beautiful little town with four thousand sheep and um, more sheep than people you know we can <laughs> do extraordinary things in this extraordinary place mm. and that that was the quest i'm going and it's still the quest and 
So when did this give us a timing here? When are we, are we? Are so we, we, we started we, the jeans factory in 2012. So it closed in 2002. So there was a, like for the town, it was a tough time for right. eight, six, seven, eight years because that was the biggest employer in a, in a town that only had, you know, like it had farming and it had tourism, but the engine had gone. You know, a, a make a town has to make. Right. If, that, if that's your identity. Right. Hmm. So okay. then in 2012, so it was, it was down for 10 years. Is that right? And then in 2012, you came and you set up uh, your company yeah. there, and, basically. Yeah. And, you know, if we'd left it another five years, it would have been too late because they would all have retired. Right. So, you know, it, it was time um, important. But the interesting thing at that point, the internet was um, yeah, really taking a hold. And so the key economic thing was being direct to consumer. That allowed you, right. that allowed the economics to work. That allowed you to buy the best materials you can. Right. And, and so you were there going, oh, we're pretty early. It's okay. And we have something unique. You know, we're the only jeans factory really in Britain um, and we're making and selling direct to humans and you go great um, so how did you tell, tell us about the 2012 to today like what how did you start well, it how did you get it how big did it get or is it or like what well, I mean, it, sort of it's so you know, some context to that is I learned that I need to do this slowly so I don't need other people's money. And so I'm happy I mean, to grow slowly because I'm going, right, I want to do it under my own steam in my own way. And if that is a slow way, I'm fine with it. I'm literally sure. fine. So the um, so we started in 2012. You know, we now employ 27 people. We're going to be £2 million company you know we're profitable um and but we're direct to consumer we've had some really lucky breaks you know Meghan Markle started wearing our jeans <laughs> job. um you know you know I was in the behind the mac you know ad this year you know Shopify did a film on us Facebook put us on posters you know Instagram made films on us I'm going because I, I don't have any marketing budget I'm going, yeah, you can come down. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, all day long. Uh, and I say the same thing all the time. I go, my town is making jeans again. And I'm That's not awesome. bored of it. And I'm going, well, we do actually make one of the best jeans on the planet. The, the grandmasters are insane. I mean, their, their level of skill is beyond almost anyone. I mean, they've done it for 20, 30 years. I mean, hmm. and I'm just saying, it's a gift. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you said something that fascinates me, actually. You said you were going to do it different this time around and you were going to focus on coaching and I think, and, and, and sort of sharing what you learned along the way, I guess. And so have you been successful? Because I, I think that's so important. I think a lot of people, they focus on themselves in business and it's really the people that make them successful along the way. And, and that they should be grateful. I mean, and, and so it's a way of, um, and I think as you become more mature, you realize that. And it's such a great way to give back to 
you know, you're, you're sort of giving back in the sense that you're teaching them something that you hope would then be passed down and they can use it and monetize it and move on and whatever. So can you just maybe talk a little bit? Have you been, do you feel like you've been successful in, in the coach, in the new coaching, whatever mode? Um, I think so. And I hope so. Um, uh, because it actually is quite important to me. And the, when you hire people, sometimes you can get hired and I've been hired and like, they just literally want to clip my wings. And my job is to give them clarity on what we're trying to do, why we're doing it and, and then get out of their way. And, and to the extent where you go, look, you have to go and try things and some things are literally not going to work, but it's going to provide learning for the next time. And so I'm trying to create that space going, look, come on. You know, we, you know, we live in a small town. Um, you know, you know, it's, it, this isn't London where you got the choice of everyone. Um, you know, we can't pay a super a lot, but we can give this freedom to people and teach them how to do things that they've never done. And, and it's extraordinary. And, but what you have to do is invest time in helping them. Right. And, and we, we did this thing. Um, and we're still doing this thing called clarity sessions. And we, they're 15 minute meetings. I'm not really big on meetings. I kind of like, unless you really love biscuits, it, there's no really point to them. Um, the, um, but we have these wall sessions called clarity sessions. And, um, and it's just dividing the shoulds and the musts. And so, you know, how do we, what's our voice on Twitter? Okay. What should it be? What must it be? And everybody puts these things on. And, and you know, at the end of the session, which is only 14 minutes and 59 seconds, is they have to go and go, what's the one thing that we have to do? And it gives them such clarity. And it takes 15 minutes. It's like, yeah. and you go, and consultants hate that because they go, no, it takes me three months. Yeah, of course. Goes, An exactly. absolute ton of money. And I'm going to do it in 15 minutes. Actually, 14 minutes and 59 seconds if we're good. Um, <laughs> and that's brilliant because you're, can, you're canning that, um, you know, just listening to your whole story, right? You're canning that enormous education, that enormous experience you have after all these years. You're distilling it, right? And, and, you're, and, and, you're, and you're sharing it. And, that, that's... And, and, you know, there might be someone listening to this who just loves the idea of working in a company where you have 15 minute meetings because they've just come out of an hour and 40 minutes and they're, and they're thinking, what is What am I doing with my life? Because <laughs> it's a, uh, it, it, so your culture presumably is, and you're, you're still small, which means you must know. Oh, no, it's small, but tiny, yeah. Uh, you but know it, it, I mean, you know, we, you know, we're learning every day. I mean, like, you know, we've been doing this thing like short runs. We do this like tiny short run launches and, and it's been our bread and butter of our company. It's growing our company. Amazing. We find this amazing fabric and we do it. And then suddenly after COVID, like our people haven't been anywhere for two years. I mean, they're going, Dave, I love your jeans, but like, I don't need another pair of jeans. And they go, I've, I'm there. I'm literally there. I get it. So, so then we have to go and rethink. And I actually love those opportunities where you suddenly go, right, okay, what worked yesterday isn't going to work today. So, and then we just have this clarity session. You go, 
God, like we literally solved that in 15 minutes. It's like incredible. Mm. It's amazing. It's really, and then you just go, wow. And then you say, God, is this the best it's going to be then? You know, there's a sweet spot in a racket. You go, is this the sweet spot right here? And you go, but um, then I don't dwell on that too much and then I move on. (laughs) But are you, do you, like when you get, are are the people all from the local village uh, that you employ or some of them, have you brought in some people from outside and? Yeah, I mean, the grandmasters, you know, those are the people from the old factory are pretty all local. Um, and the skill sets they are, but and in a way, if you think about you know the the jeans factory, it, you have to have two factories. One is you have to make great jeans. You have to make one of the best pairs of jeans in the world. Right. Then there's the content factory. You have to tell the story as good as as you do making the jeans. So there's a content factory and there's a jeans factory. Because, That's so interesting. And so you go, and people go, oh, what's more imp- important? And I'm going, well, which leg is more important? Your left leg or right leg? <laughs> and they go, what do you mean? I'm going, well, if you make a great gene and you can't sell it, it's like, what's the point? I mean, it's like, so I kind of get, uh, but the, so, but the, the communications team is they have gone away to other places and they come back. And you know, suddenly cool. you know, he's working for Victoria Beckham or you know, a company called White Stuff. And you suddenly go, oh, they've now chosen to do interesting things in the place that they love the best. I, I, I want to, because we're getting into sort of the not quite tank empty, but we're getting towards the end of our interview and we haven't talked about the, the, the conference you do, but just I'd like to hear, where do you see it going in say five, 10, 15 years? Obviously, you know, you're 56, so you're not going to live forever. Is this something that you're going to, do you have like a, uh, sorry, you're laughing as if I've told you something you didn't realize. <laughs> maybe, maybe things are different in, in Wales, but um, do you have a sense of how, how this is going to unfold? Do you, have, do you have got a succession plan? Because it's not, so, it's not such a, it's a, it's a great business. And I'm really impressed. And it's not something that's, you know, going to be massive doing it the way you're doing it. So as a business, it's going to yeah. make, I mean, make decent money, provide jobs. What's going to happen after you hand over? Um, well, just before I get to that answer is you know, the quest is to try and get 400 people a job as well but it might not be in all making jeans. And so I think there's a Brazilian company that after 25 people, they have, you know, two people have to leave and go and start the next company. Hmm. And that in a way makes that an interesting way to protect yourself from, you know, if some suddenly people stop wearing jeans. Um, So we're playing around with that and that's going to be pretty interesting the succession plan is really um you know like we got two daughters i'm not sure if they they (laughs) do anything and that but there's they got to go and find their love and um and it's not i think sometimes family businesses work really well and, and and sometimes they're a trap and and so but if if they come back and say i want to go and do this go great but the succession plan is to make sure that you know part of the coaching thing is to go right go and you know raise leaders um and because you know it's it might take many decades to go and achieve what we want to do and it's fine yeah i think it's brilliant i think it's brilliant it's really i think it's very inspiring i don't doubt really what you're saying and i love the idea of you've actually touched on something else 
is that maybe you can raise people that can then go off and like to, to help you. You don't necessarily have to hire to do the 400 yourself. You just want to be the grandfather, the great grandfather, the great, great, great grandfather of the 400, basically. So as long as other people go off and do, you know, do it and you can help and you could invest or help or support <clears throat> along the way. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a really noble, it's a very noble, uh, I, I like it. It's like making the world better, making your little corner of the world better. Yeah, basically. Yeah. I asked to go and have a conversation with one of our best people. He started like, um, you know, with no skills and we trained him and coached him and, and he, he was re got really good at it, really good at launching. And he had a side project and I, and it, it started to do really well. And I said, look, yeah. you have no mortgage. You have no kids. Yeah. Your girlfriend's in London and you live down here. <laughs> you should leave. And he's going, what do you mean? You go, you should leave. I would. And, um, and they've gone off and done a real good job. And they've launched this thing and it's become, you know, quite successful. Um, That's cool. So. Yes, I, I was talking to someone who founded the Cambridge Satchel Company. She's a Cambridge... Oh, yeah. On and she she was talking about brand extension just at the beginning of this week and I think that you know there's a certain attractiveness to what you've well, what you've done already but I, I I certainly can see there are possibilities of sort of brand extension or similar approach to different things and other things that your customers might buy it's obvious but yeah. uh, but it's easier to describe than do <laughs> but that brings us can can you just say in a few words what the genesis of this extraordinary conference because we actually interviewed tessa clark who I, I actually when i was researching her i saw she gave a talk at your event and i've been involved in ted and tedx conferences for a long time so yeah. what you've done I, I used to say you know say well no one else can do anything like ted and then i looked at what you've done and thought hmm <laughs> there's something about can you just how, where did it come from and why is it worked? well I mean, what's the point a quick backstory was um we were working fairly closely with um, Patagonia and um, I wrote a, a thing about a journey from a carrot from Poland to, um, uh, it was one of my best, most boring pieces, um, from, from Poland to Cardigan, every left turn, every right turn, every roundabout. I mean, it was literally bored people to tears. But um, um, Patagonia then were inspired by it and they went and did their footprint chronicles idea. So you could trace the, um, you know, the path of their materials and, and the usage of energy. And, but they invited me to um, their tools camp, which they run every two years. And, um, and it's for 80 people to go and you know, teach you how to go and put your causes out there. And I was really honored that they asked me, but I said, well, I, I was knee deep in Howie's at the time, and I'm going. Oh, I literally can't come. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm in a naive business with naive people, and I literally <laughs> I, I can't go. Um, and I said, "Well, don't worry. I can watch all the talks online." They went, "Oh, we don't actually share the talks." I'm going, "Oh, really?" And at the same time, a friend um, texted me, and he just sent me a text, and he said, "Don't just stand there." do something dick dastardly and i'm uh, and so me and claire were at the dinner table at night and i'm just going oh like maybe you know like just doing a clothing company is enough maybe we should try and help people um sort of educate people to go and do amazing things and 
and so we came up with this idea i mean maybe one or two glasses of wine in and um so it wasn't called the do lectures at the beginning it was called a little bit little big voice lectures and basically we were building teaching people how to build a website in a day we were teaching them this thing this new thing called twitter and it was extraordinary it was people just go oh my god i I've never been to anything like that. And I'm going, I've never been to anything like that. <laughs> um, and we asked them at the end of the, you know, the couple of days, um, say like, should we do this again? Should we never do this again? And, and everybody just went, you've got to do this again. And then, so we started this thing and we called it the do lectures at that point. And it was only really, like we only thought we'd do it once. And my rule was going, right, I'm never going to do this again unless I ask the words, this is brilliant. Um, and if I didn't do that, then I'll just stop it. And and each year I was just going, oh God, this is brilliant. And and um, you know, it's no disrespect to other, because I've been to a lot of conferences, but the thing that we have is, is small, intimate, in a quiet, ugly beautiful farm which is very disarming which can feel like a church or a pub depends how you look at it and it does something that i've never truly experienced at another conference i've always wanted to experience that and i'll give you an example of what i can do is we had um we did a deal with uh, virgin atlantic and so they would upgrade our speakers to first class if we bought premium, but they would send three people to you know, the do lectures. Then after three years, you know, they phoned me up and said, look, we can't do this anymore. I'm going, really? I thought it was going really well. They're going, yeah, all nine people have resigned. <laughs> they're going, yeah, we're not sending any more people down. I don't, know, I don't know what you do to them, but we ain't sending any more. And I, that's hilarious. I like, and I just go, oh, really? Um, but it, it's extraordinary. I mean, the, the last person who I spoke to at the last event, obviously, you know, COVID's intervened, and they said, look, I go to Summit, I go to Burning Man, I go to TED, and I've never experienced anything like this. I don't even know how to describe it. I'm going, I wish I could describe it. And I'm pretty good with words. So I'm going to, because then, then I would, you know, people go, what is it? And it's like Ted. And when, it's nothing like Ted. Big respect on Ted. Big respect on Burnman. Big respect on all of them. It's just, I think the, the thing that we have is this small, intimate gathering. I think that's his part. So the people actually, maybe, so just can you describe, I mean, I, I know it's impossible to describe. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, can you, but like just like maybe the mechanics of it so like there are speeches and then yeah. are there like everybody yeah. hangs out and they talk yeah. and what's the it's three days three nights you're sleeping in tents on a you know on 17 acres of you know uh, an old farm uh the farm is ugly beautiful um and does it rain it can rain in wells because the grass <laughs> is pretty green but it hasn't <laughs> hasn't rained we've had ah. such balmy weather it's been ridiculous <laughs> um, but i don't want to you know right I okay anyway, so i didn't i don't want to get you off track i'm so tense yeah. three days three nights yeah and, then... and there's, you know, there's a whiskey bar there's a gin bar you know mm -hmm. there's 
you know, going in the sea, there's yoga, there's like, there's, you know, um, bands playing, there's comedians, there's, it's just another level of amazing. And how many people are attending this? How big is this? There's only ever 100 um, people can attend. You know, there's, I mean, unfortunately, the demand means that, you know, we sell out tickets in minutes. They're not cheap tickets. Um, and but we spend all the money on the attendees right so kind of, um the, the uh, it's extraordinary and i think everybody should go once and what we try to do is encourage people not to come more than once because let it let some to let out. other people to let other people do it the hundred people includes the musicians and comedians uh, and it, no it's, so it's just attendees okay but do you, have cura- do you have audience curation? So, like, because, um, like with Ted, you as well as paying ten thousand bucks, you have to fill in a form saying "Why me?" And so it's a sort of yeah. And we we have forms that you've got to go. You know, we yeah. It's when you run an event, you've got to do. You know, you've got to curate the talks, but you've got to curate the audience. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but the problem is at the moment is. We sold out before COVID, you know, we had a big waiting list and suddenly we were turning away amazing people. And that actually was, didn't feel good, didn't feel right. And, and so what we're thinking this time is because there'll be three years worth of demand and like, how do you choose between good people who are amazing? Um, so we might just this one year, just because I think it will get a bit crazy where you know, we'll let a computer decide, you know, like you, you'll go into a hat and they'll pick the lucky person. And, mm. but we always give 10% of the tickets away, you know, for people who can't afford it. Yeah. And, brilliant. And so oh, this is the cool, this is the coolest thing really. And, mm. and we, you know, we it started a book company, the Duke book company. I mean, I, I spent that year that I was in between Howie's and doing anything, I, I thought, oh, I'm going to start a book company. And then I realized at the end of it, I'm going, I don't know anything about books. I don't even actually want to write one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the next, on the Tuesday, this Miranda who just left um, Penguin. She said, oh, have you ever started thinking about starting the, the Do Book Company? And I'm going, I'll send you the PDF. And now there's 32 books um, out there. Um, and you know, and San Francisco Airport, wherever you are, they're all over the place. Tate Museum, um, and so it's quite an extraordinary thing. And you know, people want to do one in Uruguay, America, India, Spain. And I'm going, oh, geez, man, I've got, I've got a lot going on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, because that that was the genesis of TEDx. People who want to do TED type events around the world. So you, I mean, I don't know if you want to do that, but that would be the. Well, the model. We did come up with an idea that we thought was our way of doing that, and it was um, a, you know a pod, you know a sort of you know, a podcast at dinner series, and so um, but unfortunately we did the test; it went amazing, and then COVID sort of went yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, I I, I I feel like we're getting to, and we could talk for much longer, but we yeah. we're getting towards the kind of it, it, is other things that if someone's listening to you and you know they're listening to this because they're interested in entrepreneurship and they might not be one yet is is there anything that you've picked up from your sort of your quite unusual and very interesting journey that you would like to share that sort of things that you think are important maybe that you might not hear from someone else because like you can say work hard and be lucky but they probably heard that before 
Well, I mean, I mean, it's you know, all the information is out there, and you know, it's. I mean, books are the bargain of the century. And the great thing is with people who've done it is they've got a great big ego and they have to go write a book about it. And, and for like $7.99, you could probably save five years. And so you kind of want to go and role model people who've already done what you've done um, and just go and read their book, go and listen to their podcast, just go and, but learn from the best. And, and, and if you're not quite ready to go and be an entrepreneur, then like go and choose your boss really carefully. You want to good learn, advice. You want to go and learn a really good, <clears throat> and because otherwise it's like driving. You can learn bad habits quickly, and so you want to learn. You have to go be really choosy about your boss. Well, that's that's absolutely excellent advice, and um, and I, I really, I mean, you know, you're on the New Books Network, as you may. <laughs> have noticed we're interviewing someone who hasn't <laughs> hasn't been talking about their book because we said this is one of the first oh, yeah. buy my book <laughs> non-existent book but but there might there might be people who among your publishing company who might be interesting for our audience so you might make a mental note that if there is anyone you think would be entrepreneurial tech people who'd be worth talking to about their books you know that would be really interesting your recommendations and I suspect that my name will be one of the ones in the hat for your next <laughs> conference. Although knowing my luck, Keeman will apply and he'll get in, and I won't. Yeah, yeah, it's great to know. <laughs> and, and that, uh, what can you do with luck, eh? Yeah, no, just, <laughs> just another example to put on the long list. But anyway, I'd, I'd, I'd like to um, say thank you very much, and Keeman. There are probably a few other people who have to say thank, thank you to as well, shouldn't we? Yeah. So yeah, thanks for everybody listening. Magda Pantikidis, the uh, graphic design video editor people who prepare she prepares teasers for us she's my daughter as well so special thanks to her like the wish she's an intern that works for us she does pr and promotion obviously everybody at mbn who does the technical stuff that gets this up there and uh and gets it promoted amongst all the people that listen so if you like it subscribe at mbn youtube or wherever you listen to podcasts and you know share comment love like whatever you do on social media these days and david thank you so much this was like so cool i feel like we didn't even like we just got to the end and like there's even there's like like there's tons of stuff like you just have an energy let's say i just gonna from my perspective you just have an energy that it's very difficult to replicate and and you know that it's just very impressive what you've done and what you continue to do so very interesting story thanks a lot for taking the time talking to us and uh, it's great too i really, really enjoyed it thank you